The Provoke Podcast, brought to you by Provoke Media and produced by the international broadcast specialist, Marketeers. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Provoke Podcast. I'm Maya Kavinska-Sims, the EMEA editor of Provoke, and I'm joined today by Alberto Lopez Valenzuela, the CEO of reputation intelligence firm Alva, which he founded in 2010. Um, Alberto is also author of a book called The Connecting Leader, which he published in 2018. And he's also a former director of Cision and Data Monitor, among others, and was a visiting professor in corporate reputation, no less, at Cass Business School in London, where he also did his MBA. Um, Alberto, welcome to the Provoke podcast. Um, hi, Magia. Well, um, great, to, great to be here. Very pleased to be here. How have the past few months been for you and the team? Uh, we've, we've adapted very well to, to the new uh, circumstances. I think um, we went into, uh, into sort of a remote working one week before before lockdown uh, and we already had the infrastructure in place to switch over so um, it's it's so far it's been it's been good and we've continued recruiting uh, and onboarding new people into the business so so far we, we've continued executing our plan that's good news that's good news I think everyone's adapted remarkably quickly haven't they to, to the new normal that hateful expression but there we go um, <laughs> yes Tell me a bit about your background and how, how you got here. What's your route to setting up um, Alva 10 years ago? Sure. So I had been in the business information, business intelligence sector for pretty much most of my life. I started, a, my first internship was at a, a, one of the biggest newspapers back in, in, in Spain. And I was always very interested in media, very interested in communications. And, uh, and after my stint at, at Cision, I saw that there was an opportunity to, uh, to provide, um, to equip corporate affairs and CCOs with uh, intelligence that actually spoke the business language mm. and not just only the communication language. So we, we took on ourselves to try to translate the work and the impact that communications professionals make into, into the sort of the business context. So what's, what does Alva does? Because it's not just reputation intelligence, is it? Tell me, tell me a bit about this. No, we, we, we started, we started with, with reputation intelligence, but uh, uh, obviously our, our proposition and capabilities have evolved over the, over the last 10 years. Fundamentally, we are a data analytics company uh, that uh, uses uh, data analytics models, NLP, AI, machine learning, to, uh, to obtain intelligence uh, from, from that data. The intelligence is, is packaged for different uh, use cases. So we have an intelligence set, a media intelligence set. So we normally work with communication directors or, or, or media managers and, and so on. That, and that includes the bread and butter monitoring and, and, and analysis. We have the reputation intelligence, which typically it's, it serves the corporate affairs function. We've launched ESG intelligence and, and, and we've got more sources of intelligence that we're going to be launching in, in the roadmap. The idea of Alva is to create a, a new category called connected intelligence, which is all about providing uh, intelligence drawn out from external data sets for different functions in the business for the sole purpose of understanding stakeholders much better. 
So you've been running as, as part of this, like trying to get an understanding and a handle of what's going on for, for business leaders. You've been running weekly COVID uh, insights reports since more or less since the start of the pandemic, I think. Um, looking back at the past six months, how do you think overall businesses and leaders have, have coped with the pandemic in, in reputational terms? Are there any big themes that have emerged? Yeah, it's, it's very interesting because we have seen uh, noticeable differences depending on the different stages of the pandemic. So at the beginning, uh, we, we, we call that phase the, the shock phase. And we saw endless signs of empathy, goodwill, kind of the, the, the underlying message, we are on this together. A lot of uh, uh, communication professionals kind of created campaigns around, around this. Um, I think we've, we've seen a change in, in tone of we've accepted that COVID and its implications are going to be with us in the long run. And business leaders have changed their response uh, from, from reactive and, and hopeful and positive to a more uncertain and, and somber tone. Mm. We, we are right now in what we call the existential phase. And I think this phase, we still don't know how bad it's going to get. And, and there's a fear that it's going to get worse before it's going to get better. I think what we are seeing is a lot of um, handling of, of employee issues, redundancies, uh, job cuts, and, and, uh, and, and making businesses, uh, basically, uh, businesses facing the reality of, of COVID. I think when we see the light at the end of the tunnel, we will we'll move to the recovery phase, uh, followed by the pent-up demand phase, and we'll end up in a, in a new reality phase. I think the, the reality is that for many business leaders, these are uncharted territory. Mm. And, and hopefully, they are relying more on the expertise of corporate affairs and communications to ensure that companies do and say the right things, because I think this is, this is a perfect environment to, to really uh, uh, demonstrate your authenticity as a business. Well, yes, and that's something that businesses have been moving towards um, for, for quite some time, at least trying to. It's, it's interesting, isn't it, how much, kind of, how much of an emotional arc there is here? It's not just about business. It is about there's, some, there's a lot of sentiment involved, isn't it, here? Yeah, definitely, definitely. It's, uh, this, um, communication has become much more emotional, uh, solely on the, because I think at the end of the day, communication is a way of connecting, is a connect. It's a, con a way of connecting with individuals, with the stakeholders. Mm. And, and uh, in times like this, I think we, we sort of seek out more that, that sort of human connection. That, that, uh, so you cannot, you cannot disintegrate the, the sort of the humanity from business. I think that's, that's also one, one thing that we've learned from COVID. Yeah, no, I would totally agree with you. Our, our latest Influence 100 research, in fact, where we talk to leading global CMOs and CCOs everywhere around the world for businesses of all, all kinds of um, uh, sectors, th that confirmed a new focus, particularly on corporate communications, mm. um, which seems to, to tally with this kind of the different phases we're seeing uh, of what businesses are going through and how they're kind of communicating differently externally and internally. What do you think makes a really good corporate communications leader in times like these? Yeah, I think what's unique about corporate communication uh, leaders is that they are the best place to bring the broadest perspective to the senior table. Mm. And no other function has that, that sort of really broad perspective. 
Uh, that's because they deal with a broad range of stakeholders and understand the conflicting views, the pressures from, from multiple stakeholders. So I, I personally think that a, a great comms leader is able to, to distinguish material issues versus noise. Mm. And I also think that in times like this, when there's a great deal of uncertainty, understanding the broad perspective and being clear about the fee issues that, that need energy is one of the things that makes a great comms leader. You have to, uh, you know, uh, as well as that judgment, you also have to uh, engage in an authentic, uh, in an authentic manner. You cannot really fake it. Uh, if, if you fake it, it's, it just comes across. And, and that's much worse than actually being authentic about it. Um, it's really interesting on, on, uh, on the research that I did for, for the Connected Leader. That was, that was a, a, an underlying, underlying message that actually the, the authenticity is what really makes the difference. That's really interesting. I mean, some people are not going to be cut out for the, the new requirements to be authentic and to have that kind of emotional understanding internally and externally, are they? Well, it's, it's um, I guess what it, it requires, it requires, the, the role these days requires uh, high uh, EQ and high IQ. Mm. Uh, you, need, you need both. Um, purely on the basis that you're going to be engaging, connecting with a wide range of, of, of groups that actually put pressure in, in the business, either advocate for the business or, or, uh, or are antagonists uh, to the business and their objectives. So it is very important to actually have that, that sort of uh, high EQ to really be able to empathize and, and establish a, a meaningful dialogue. Mm, absolutely. Um, another key theme this year, which I know you've picked up on in, in your research, is everyone's working lives have shifted so dramatically. And so the, another critical role as all well of corporate comms is great employee relations and engagement. Mm. And that kind of internal piece is sort of, it's sort of been the poor cousin until relatively recently of, of corporate and crisis and all kind of the grown up brand um, comms. Now the social contract between employers and employees is changing, as you've said in in one of your blog posts. What do you think that what's going on, and what do you think the long term ramifications are going to be in um, internal communications terms? Yeah, look, I, I think I think that uh, uh, at times like this, the 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 glue that that provides the cohesion within the, within the team is going to be communication and and constant communication. We. We can never forget that actually one of the biggest, uh, most influential stakeholders for any company is the employees, their colleagues. So you, it's, it's, uh, given that uh, the pandemic has forced a, a temporary way of working, which, which um, has made people to actually be uh, working in, in different conditions, internal communications has to adapt to, to that. I, I personally think that the myth of the office might be going away and we might see a new social contract that allows for more freedom, more flexibility and financial savings uh, for both companies and, and employees, but also allowing for a more balanced ratio between uh, life and work. There's always been a discussion about work-life balance and I think that, uh, that COVID presents an opportunity for, for that. The, 
what's interesting to me is that there, there are implications that come out from what now is being called as the future of work. In my, in my opinion, we're going to see a combination between the flexibility to work from anywhere with the accountability to deliver clear outcomes. Mm. I think, I think there's going to be, uh, there will be a responsibility for companies to be very clear about the outcomes and the objectives uh, that they are setting out uh, and, and the responsibility from, from the colleague to, to achieve them. In terms of the social interaction and the communication aspect of it, I think the, uh, uh, we might move to, uh, to a social interaction in, in, uh, uh, in which will be less frequent, but more purposeful. Mm. I think that uh, companies and teams might have get together days on a monthly basis uh, for the sole purpose of socializing, building cohesion among colleagues, instead of making that part of your daily working pattern. Mm. So I, I think for, uh, I mean, we have to be mindful that actually not everybody is based in an office. They are field workers, such as engineers or, or client-facing roles. But I think for office-based uh, office uh, uh, colleagues, we might see more efficiencies and a higher quality of work as people will be uh, subject to less interruptions and endless meetings. And putting time aside purposely for, uh, co for social interaction with your colleagues. And, and rather than having sort of a, a small chat, you might actually have more meaningful conversations with the people that you work with. I think that's really interesting that you're, you're effectively going to separate the, the, the productivity bit and then the need for us to have social interaction and more informal conversations and face-to-face -face contact. And that phrase, the myth of the office, um, that's going to be that's going to be an interesting cultural shift for some leaders, isn't it? Kind of accepting that things pretty much have changed forever if you're used to having a floor full of 200 people beavering away. Yeah, I think I think it's. Uh, I'm certain that we are not going back to to where where we were. I think that um, uh, this has been uh, sort of an accidental experiment that, uh, uh, from the people that I've spoken to and, and from our personal experience, has actually worked really well. And and at Alva, we are already preparing for a a different social contract with our with our colleagues. Uh, one which, again, it's predicated on, on much clear objectives, uh, much clear sort of metrics. And, and again, me measurement in terms of uh, the contribution is based on outcomes, mm. not on time in the office or, 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 or anything that actually is not really making a difference. No, it's kind of a bit more grown up, isn't it, as well? Yeah. And that's why I, I was thinking, when I was thinking about this, I was thinking, well, what's, what's really exciting about this, about this is that actually it does uh, give the, the individual freedom, autonomy, and also the, the sort of the, the responsibility to say, hey, this is what I'm going to, this is how I'm going to contribute, you know? And, and I think that sort of uh, autonomy, it's... Uh, it's, it's very exciting. I, I think it's something that uh, 
should be very welcome by by many people. Mm, absolutely. I mean, I I totally agree with you. I mean, you know, for, just from a working mum's point of view, uh, yeah. <laughs> it's uh, talking to people like me in in the same sort of situation within the PR industry. The, the flexibility now, childcare is back in the room is is welcomed. I mean, who wants to go back to commuting into you know town five days a week? Frankly, yeah. yeah um, hopefully, hopefully, we'll make we'll make uh, we'll also push for sort of a. Uh, inclusivity and the diversity uh, because I think this this sort of environment might actually be more conducive for that because again you know uh, if, if you provide flexibility to uh, to a workforce then uh, you know you, you eliminate a lot of the, the criteria that previously existed yeah it removes a lot of barriers doesn't it mm. to you know re reasons why things might not have been candidates might not have been su suitable a lot of those have kind of been removed by this complete shift in the way offices now work yeah you, you said it it's 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 about removing the barriers and and the barriers will be even um, you know among among different countries we actually recruiting from uh, not only from the UK now but from other other places on the basis that uh, we are going to be adopting a more flexible uh, way of working. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it completely breaks down that need to be, you know, within an hour-long train journey of an office, doesn't it? We can be anywhere now. Um, we. I wanted to talk to you about purpose because this comes up. You know, this has been a, a dominant theme in the communications industry for at least a couple of years now. Um, and we hear a lot of an awful lot about it in business and and comms terms. You know, as as things are are changing and we're going through these new phases um, uh, in in the evolution of business, what do you think purpose really means for uh, corporations and their leaders now and going forward? Has it changed? Yeah, look, I've written a, a fair amount about purpose uh, and the dangers of purpose being a hollow statement disconnected from from the business and and the economic performance of the company. I am actually a great believer that the role of business is to deliver shared value, which is a profit-driven social impact. That's, I think that's, uh, that's the, the, the best version of, of business. Mm. I think when a company makes purpose integral to their business, the result is often the creation of unique stakeholder value, not only shareholder value, but actually serving, serving a wider range of, of stakeholders. Um, at Alba, for instance, we've, we've sort of, we had, a, a, just to give you an example, we had one statement for our purpose, but actually when we thought about the authenticity of it, we actually realized that actually we needed three statements, one for our clients, one for our colleagues, and one for our investors. And, and we feel that uh, that approach reminds us why we exist and for whom we need to create shared value. Mm. I, think, I think it's... Uh, it's really important not to make purpose uh, something that is somehow disconnected from the, the, the core of the business. Uh, and it's something that actually the, the business, yeah, it's, it creates value for society and stakeholders, but also it creates uh, economic, economic value. So in terms of how COVID has affected everything, has, has any of that definition changed or is it evolving quicker what's different now well i think i think what, what we've seen and, and we published we published uh, uh, research on this is that uh, uh 
COVID has uh, has actually created a bit more sort of activism that, I mean, there was a fair amount of activism before, but actually uh, the, the, the sort of the racial equality issue, the sort of the, the summer of the boycotts, we've seen, we've seen a, lot of, a lot of issues that are keep, keep coming out. So I think that uh, businesses understand that uh, uh, unless there's that level of authenticity embedded in the purpose, um, society now it's it's uh, has the ability to 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 activate very quickly to fight for particular issues that uh, perhaps in in the past uh, they didn't feel that it, it was the right time to to sort of uh, uh, fight for yeah so um so i i think again it's it's one of the underlying things of the connected leader it's about let's not overcomplicate things let's just you know let's just be authentic about what we what we stand for what our role in in society actually is i think some of the problems of purpose is that it tried to do everything to all people yeah. and that just never gonna it's, it's not gonna work that's why at alba we decided that we will have three statements for our three main stakeholder groups and uh you mentioned earlier on briefly you've got a new ESG intelligence offer which obviously links to this whole idea of of purpose authenticity and adding a broader um, value to to all stakeholders tell me a bit about what you're doing there yeah as, as I mentioned earlier we launched Alba 10 years ago to mainly to improve the intelligence and analysis that CCOs and corporate affairs used to run their departments and report to executives and so far, we work with 100 plus global companies that have adopted our uh, media intelligence and, and reputation intelligence solution. The next step uh, for us is to combine our data analytics know-how with our market expertise to design a new solution for the sustainability team companies board. We also have seen a lot of interest since we launched last week. We've seen a lot of interest from, from the corporate affairs communications function. So using the same, the same data uh, that comes into the Alba system, we are classifying our, uh, all, all our data using a, an industry standard taxonomy. And we fundamentally have developed two metrics, an ESG materiality metric, which is related to ESG issues, and, and that helps companies understand the, the sort of the potential risk of that particular issue, and also an ESG company score. Uh, and that actually allows, allows companies to see how they are uh, being sort of perceived in, in the market. Mm. The interesting thing about ESG is that historically ESG has been about uh, the, the company has done their own reporting and they have been also compliant to regulatory uh, demands, but there has never been, the, 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 the sort of the external data has never been taken in, into consideration. That's the gap is trying to. That's the gap that Alva is trying to, to, uh, uh, to fill. And when you when companies have got this, you know, really kind of mission critical data about how the future of their business within the future of the corporate landscape is going. Do, I mean, how much action do you think they're going to take um, to to move forward? Yeah, I think. You know, it's, it, 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 I think it, in our experience, it depends from, from company to company. And 
and how how empowered the the function is is actually uh, actually is to uh, to to make decisions. Yeah, I think I think the the role of the corporate affairs function, and again, that was a, a central theme of of the book, um, has been has been uh, has been um, perhaps misunderstood. I think I think the the communications it's is uniquely placed to provide a lot of value to the organization, not just only communicating, but also bringing in the external perspective, and and that external perspective that needs to be considered in in decision making. So I, I think uh, companies are are maturing and they are understanding that uh, they need that sort of intelligence and that uh, that intelligence needs to be formed part of the set of intelligence that is being used to to make uh, decisions. Decisions that in many cases involve multiple stakeholders. And so you look at, when I look at your book, I, I've, been, I've been looking at reviews of your book, The Connecting Leader on Amazon, and they're, they're, they're quite gushing, Alberto, I have to say. <laughs> you've got lots of, lots of fans out there. You've been described as a luminary and a trailblazer, um, a pioneer ahead of your time in demonstrating how corporate entities should conduct themselves. What prompted you to write the book, which you published a couple of years ago? Yeah, I think uh, I, I had the, the great opportunity to work with, with many, uh, with the CCO community for, for years before I, I wrote the book. And, and one of the sort of frustrations I have was that uh, I felt that the function wasn't always allowed to achieve their full potential. Mm. You know, uh, there's very, very capable people in, in those seats, but sometimes the, I felt that the business did not really understand or grasp uh, what, uh, what the communications and corporate affairs are about. So I, I wrote the book fundamentally as a call to arms for, for CCOs uh, uh, to champion and enable the connection between business with society in an authentic way. Because I, I sort of thought this, this conversation at some point is going to happen. Uh, at some point, the CEO is going to say, hey, people are talking about stakeholders. What should we do? Mm. So, so uh, and, and the, best, the best function to actually have that conversation, without a doubt, is this, the, the communications and, and corporate affairs function. So I, I think that they are uniquely placed uh, to, to ensure that the relationship between business and society is one that leads, as I said earlier, to economic and, and social value creation, to the creation of shared value. And because the future of business will be about, about creation of shared value, I think that uh, the, the corporate affairs uh, role and CCOs, they have a really important role to play. Um, I, I, I also think that, uh, as I mentioned earlier, to deliver the, the, the value to society, a real connection with stakeholders, the, the things that we've discussed earlier around that sort of emotional connection uh, is needed. And, um, and CCOs have a unique external perspective across multiple stakeholders that other roles do not have because they are much more internally, internally facing. So uh, I think that the principles of the book are probably 
more relevant today than they were two years ago. The, the, the landscape has changed and actually has changed in the direction towards a stakeholder capitalism. So I think the, the need for dialogue, understanding and connection, it's stronger than ever. Do you, has any of your thinking changed since you wrote the book? Is that, I mean, is there, is there a sequel coming? Uh, it's interesting. I, I think, you know, of, uh, writing, uh, writing a book around, uh, around technology for good, because I, I think, um, I, I'm, I'm not sure, uh, I will do it because actually there's been, there's been a movement that's already taking place around, around that. So I, I'm not sure there's a sequel coming, but certainly what we're going to do at, at Alva and, and through the Connecting Leader website is, is continue, uh, 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 continue sort of enriching this uh, and illustrating good companies and, 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 and good case studies of, of, uh, of, of organizations that have taken this, this route and they are delivering the, the social and the economic value. Okay, when's this one out? <laughs> don't know yet, don't know yet. <laughs> and when does your editor expect it to be out? That's probably the first thing. Don't know yet. We are, we, we're thinking, I'm thinking maybe in, in about 18 months. Okay, cool. Wow, things are going to definitely have moved on by that point. How exciting. Yeah. Um, tell me about what, how's your, what's your prediction for how businesses and leaders are going to come through COVID in terms of not just adapting and surviving as we are at the moment, when we go at, come out of this existential phase and, and kind of we're, we're in a different phase and even mm. thriving, what, what do you think the world of business and, and leadership is going to look like? Yeah, as, as I mentioned earlier, uh, we, are, we are in the existential phase. We're still sort of trying to figure out how, how sort of the new reality is going gonna, is gonna to look like and and uh, and and I think it's it's uh, for many for many businesses is unsettling because I think uh, a lot of businesses are going to to struggle because of the sort of the the sort of the, the business model. I think it's going to get worse before we see the light at the end of the tunnel. Mm. But uh, I I also believe that the quicker we understand and adapt to the new paradigms, I think the the better. We already see. Uh, we've talked about the future of work. We've talked about uh, uh, new ways of, of, of running teams. We've talked about shared value. There are a number of things that are coming up that uh, I don't think they're going to go away. I think actually uh, this, is, this, is, uh, this is presenting us with an opportunity to press reset. And, you know, I, I, it might sound overly ambitious and, and, and grander, but I, I believe that actually uh we have an opportunity to to balance capitalism uh, which is clear that it didn't work for everybody mm. when you have a system that in which investors are profiting while much of society is struggling just doesn't doesn't feel right so i think we 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 i'm i'm really hoping that uh we we create a, a sort of a movement uh and I, I mean we i mean sort of business leaders we create a movement in which we turn business as a force for good. Uh, and I think that in order to do that, investors will have to allocate capital to those businesses that can use it well in, in meeting society's most important needs and, and, and while they also make a profit. So investors have a really important role to play here.
Uh, I think there's a, there's a, from my time researching the, the connecting leader, again, you cannot underestimate the pressure that investors and shareholders put on companies mm. and, and the sort of the, sh the short-term uh, tyranny, as, as it's been called. So I, I think that, uh, and I'm really hoping that uh, the business that will succeed and thrive will be those that, you know, have worked out how to create shared value and how they, they are able to achieve their social purpose uh, while also creating and delivering economic value. Mm -hmm. Those will be the ones that are the most sustainable and, 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 and to be honest, the, the sort of most uh, admired. And what's the role in, uh, of comms in helping companies achieve this? I think, as I said, in, in the Connected Leader, I think it's critical. Mm. I think it's critical. The, the, the comms have to bring the... the I, I define in, in the book five different uh, characteristics that are needed from a comms perspective to enable these. So one was to, uh, to connect uh, internally with the organization, with the purpose of the organization. The other one was, was to, to connect with uh, stakeholders. Uh, the other one was to actually uh, bring the, the outside in view into the organization. The, the other one was to uh, identify, you know, what, what are the issues you're going to focus on and, and what are the issues that you're not. So, so you have a good sense of your reputational risks. And the final one, it's about creating a narrative that it's authentic, uh, for, feels authentic to the business, but also engages and connects with stakeholders. I think that that, that dimension, that connection dimension, it's, it's, it's the way in which communications can create the most value. There's been a lot of discussion around, uh, you know, uh, quantifying the value of communications by, you know, in, in terms of dollar amount, pound, pound, uh, pound amount, and so on. I think there's a much higher value here. Mm -hmm. And it's about enabling the organization that, uh, that external perspective and connection so that uh, this, this concept of shared value, it's, it's adopted within the organization. Yeah, well, interesting times. And then finally, Alberto, what do you think the most successful chief executives will look like in the post-pandemic era? So we're looking five years down the line. Hopefully, we're living with something in a much more manageable way. Hopefully, the economy is you know, starting to recover. What, does it, what do the most successful CEOs look like in terms of their, their traits and values? I think... I think um... I think it's really interesting. I think, I think leadership, uh, it's, uh, a good leadership is timeless. And um, I think, as, as I said, I think a, a, good, a good executive will have to be, uh, uh, operate with universal values. Uh, so obviously the authenticity, the, the, the integrity, the, the, the vision, being able to, to bring other verse, a group together. But I think in, in operating in, in sort of in the new reality, I think it's really about, about understanding that uh, sort of business and society are, um, are an integral part of each other and that you cannot disentangle one from the other. And, and the quicker businesses integrate that societal part 
into the into the business model, I think the the ECA is going to be for them to operate. Uh, if they don't, I think what we're going to see is a lot of friction, a lot of boycotts, a lot of mm. a lot of uh, angst towards towards a company, and and in the end, the, the sort of the the strengths uh, of of stakeholders, it's it's likely to make uh, life of the business really really difficult. Yeah, absolutely. Interesting times. I have a sneaking suspicion you might be right on all of the above, Alberto. Um, thank you so much. That was absolutely fascinating insight. Um, really enjoyed our conversation. Thank you so much for joining me today. Uh, great to be here. Thanks very much for your questions. I really enjoyed the session. You've been listening to the Provoke podcast, brought to you by Provoke Media and produced by the international broadcast specialist, Marketeers.